a lot of athletes live for their sport. So when that sport's gone, you don't know what to do next. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by former NFL player, He's an inspirational speaker. He's a best-selling author. He's also the host of his own podcast called Get Authentic. Today, I'm joined by Marcus Ogden. Marcus, how you doing today, sir? Thanks, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. You know, my dog uh, decided to take shit on the rug today. So, you know, it was a great start to the morning. You know what I mean? Hey, man, it could be a lot worse, but it could also be a lot better. So I get it. Yeah, you know what I mean? It, it sets you up for the right mood for the day, but you want to know what it is? I'm pushing through it, baby. I'm pushing through it. That's all we can do, brother. First question I have to ask, you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. What was the best catering that you ever had in any locker room? That's a really good question, man. Really got fortunate. I was playing for the Ravens when we built the castle that year. So 2005 uh, was that initial season where actually we had our old facility and after the bye week, we came off the bye week and we moved in to the new facility, the castle, which they still have today. And that food was just absolutely amazing between they had like, you know, red and like high fat, you know, a lot more fatty foods than green was like, it's good to go. Protein, a lot of low fat, yellows kind of in the middle. So we had our fruits, our vegetables. We had like our tuna. We had our chicken salad. I mean, man, it was absolutely unreal so that first inaugural season in the castle when i played for the ravens on point the older i get the more i think about training staffs i always think about them like damn like which city has the best food i wonder like let me look into like this thing like i every time i play like fantasy football player in my head i'm like where would i want to play and then i'm like all right so like which place has like the best food i wonder how this medical staff is which team had the best medical staff you think you know, they were all really good. I would say the most seasoned would probably, again, be the Ravens. Bill Tessendorf, who was our head trainer, had been in the NFL for probably about 20 years or so. So, again, everybody was phenomenal. But Bill had a, that seasoned experience, had been around for a while, was a little bit more innovative. Again, he could do a little bit more with, again, his pedigree and being in the NFL for all, over two decades. So, again. Close call, but I have to get the edge to the Ravens for that as well. And then that goes into my next question. Did any of the teams that you play for, did they have any kind of like mental health consultation type stuff? Because I always feel like when you hear these stories, they make these kids take a wonder like test, right? When it's like, oh, let's see how smart he is and all that stuff. Do they take tests to be like, let's just make sure this guy's like fit enough upstairs to like, you know, even to come in this year? Good question. When I came out, the answer is no. But when I understand they're working on that. And then again, when my father passed away, 
the Ravens allowed me to see every team has a therapist. You can see it all. Every team does. But, you know, I can't speak for the Jaguars, the Bills or the Titans, because when my father passed away, I started seeing the Ravens therapist. She would come to my house, talk through problems, talk oh, wow. through issues. That was really impactful. And it helped me get through a really, really hard time in my life, losing my dad. And our dad was only 57. So that was really hard in that regard. So again, every team has a therapist. But when I played for the Ravens, because my dad passed away early, I used the therapist that the Ravens had. Her name was Dr. Jan. That's great. What year did your father pass? 05? 2006. 2006. So 2006, you know, that's a, that's a little ahead of the curve for them. So that, that's actually nice that they did that. Yo, yeah, I just, I say, and every team had a therapist. But again, I don't know how many guys were using them, whereas today it's much more practical and it's much more part of our culture, I feel, to use a therapist if you need. I mean, I'm, matter of fact, uh, I have therapy today. I, you know, I got divorced. I filed for divorce from my ex-wife last July, some things were going on that I wasn't really happy to find out. And then I ended up filing for divorce in July, but I had started seeing a therapist in June of last of 2022. And I saw the therapist with her twice and she didn't want to go anymore. And then I kept seeing him. So I've been seeing the same therapist, you know, every week or sometimes every other week since June of 2022. And the NFL we get free therapy, mental therapy for life. So I'm able to oh. take paid by the NFL. And that's a perk that we get when we become a vested NFL trust or NFL legends member. I see a lot of stuff in the news about, I remember there was a huge NBA takedown of a bunch of guys that were like filing false medical stuff. That was NFL. That was NFL too, right? Because I remember they... I don't, they I, don't I don't remember NBA, but I remember... Yeah, Terrence Williams, Big Baby Davis got in trouble. He just got arrested for it recently. So in terms of that, as somebody who actually uses the program, what goes through your mind when you see shit like that going on? It's unfortunate, man, because it's a bonus. It's a perk that we've earned. And you need to use it. Like I said, I mean, I go to his thing, like, you know, like I tell you, like, don't give me any money. Like, I don't want the money. Like, even when I had to file for the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund, when I went bankrupt in 2013, lost everything, and I was broke, almost homeless, all that, right, Danny? The yeah. NFL approved me, but they paid my people directly. So they gave my landlord a check for like $8,800 that covered four months of my rent. They paid my car to Nissan for four months, health insurance to Blue Cross Blue Shield for four months, phone bill. They even paid uh, our Duke energy bill and they paid our gas bill and insurance, our car insurance, and also like our state farm insurance, right? All that stuff. But I net, it was a total right around, I want to say about 15 or 16,000. This was in 2013. I never, ever got the money. And I didn't want the money. Like I didn't need to have yeah. you give me money to go pay because and, like, you know, that's what it was for. It was to keep me from going homeless, keep me from losing our car, keep us from having insurance. Because at that time, right, Danny, like, you know, I was working for Merrill Lynch, but I wasn't going to make enough to cover. I could have probably squeezed out the rent, but I was going to be able to make the car payment or the insurance or the health care. So I needed that. It was like I needed that money to live. 
So they paid it directly. And so what happens is through your HSA account, right? You can set up a healthcare account. You should be using that money for any type of medical expenses, going to the doctor, therapy, whatever. And guys who didn't, it's very unfortunate because then it gets, makes guys like us, guys like me who are doing it correctly, people say, mm-hmm. oh, are you like those other guys that are doing? Are you like, well, no, man. Like I go to therapy every week, every other yeah, week, yeah. taking care of my medical bills. You know, right now I'm going through new insurance. I had a telehealth doctor visit. I've had some anxiety issues and I was getting on some Lexapro. Yeah. Three, and I'm, I'm $316. Yeah, it's expensive. For a, for a 10 to 15 minute telehealth. I didn't even go to the freaking office. 316. Now, luckily, our brand and what we're doing now, I can afford that. But what are people who could have got? I know there's guys who are playing that retire or guys that are retired that can't afford that or don't have money, right? So, that HSA should be used for that. But if people are abusing it, right, Danny, it makes it hard for guys like me or other guys that are doing it the right way to actually get the help that we need. It's not that like you won't get it, but it's like you got to fill out extra paperwork and do all this extra shit. It's like, dude, like don't fuck it up for the rest of us. Don't make it hard for us to get what we need yeah. when we need it. Because at the end of the day, God bless the guys playing today, and they they serve every penny that they can get because it's not for long. But again, well, when I was playing, we made a good enough play. But I think about guys like from the '60s, the '70s, a lot of those guys who didn't make the kind of money that even we made or today they're making, and those guys need the HSA. Those guys need the free therapy. Those guys need the all those things covered right through Cobra, all that. So that, it's not just us, like, you know, the, to our guys, like you say about guys that are like in their sixties, guys that are in their seventies, like when those guys didn't make hardly anything and those guys need help. And a lot of those guys are worse off than we are with mental health issues, maybe dementia, stuff like that. So they need these things, right? They, they, we, we all need them. It's not a want, it's a need. So don't screw around with it. Absolutely. Do you still watch the game? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's getting hard for me, man, because, you know, I'm watching and I feel like every other play nowadays, the guys are so big, so fast, so athletic, just absolute freaks of nature that there's guys getting hurt every other play now. So, like, it's hard for me because I could feel it in my bones sometimes. Like, I'm like, oh, man, like, it's hard to watch, like, the older I get, but I love the sport so much. The great game. It's the best game in the world. It really is. It really is. It, there's pageantry. There's amazing stories. Thankfully, to social media, it's like one good thing about social media. Like, lets you you know follow guys. We've been watching Hard Knocks. About my wife mm-hmm. and I've been watching Hard Knocks. Yes. Yeah. 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 So like, you get invested in these guys, and you know, nothing beats the Super Bowl. But you know, it's just so wild to me. It's like a dude will break his leg. They'll stop the game. Who get like carted off? Hopefully he's alive, and then it's like, all right, what down is it? But for a player, though, like for you, mentally, like for me, it's like, all right, like now I just have to wait through this TV timeout. But for you, like seeing people get injured, yourself getting injured, was it ever hard for you to be like, I don't want to go back out there right now? Oh yeah, of course, man. I mean, there was a time, you know, in 2013 for probably. 
three years, from 2013 to about 2016, I didn't really watch the game because I was like, oh, maybe I should try to go back, da, da, da. but it was way past my, I was way done. But, you know, you're, you feel it because, you know, you're trying to make money, you're trying to go to what you know, and I'm glad that it never really worked out in any capacity because now what I'm doing is what I love, and it took 10 years to get here. I'm very fortunate, but at the end of the day, it's a grind. And so, yeah, man, seeing guys get hurt with the Mar Hamlin situation last year, guys getting, you know, broken legs or arms or it's all the time. So for me, I'm in the same facet, man. I love watching the game, but I understand how high impact it is. So for me, I watch it differently, but I'm like, mm. when I see too much, you know, I'm like, ah, you know what, man, I'm good. I'll, I'll watch an action movie. I know it's fake or all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately. I watched one yesterday on Andre the Giant, who is, you know, the wrestler, which was awesome. I oh, watched it. You don't got to tell me, bro. Yeah. I'm, I got a Stone Cold Steve Austin hat on right now, baby. I loved uh, I watched the one on Babe Ruth. That was a good one. You know, Babe Ruth, uh, he died young. He was only 53. Yeah, he, he just banged too many heaters. Yeah, just, yeah, um, yep. Yeah, man. He had died of throat cancer. So, I mean, but like, you know, for me, man, like, you know, I like to watch things like that now, but I do watch the game, you know, especially, you know, playoffs or Super Bowl. Like, I'm, I'm all into that for sure. Let's start at Howard, right? HBCU. You don't see a lot of guys come out of HBCUs that much. You know what I mean? All, you know, the Big 12, whatever the fuck they're calling themselves these days. Big 12, Big 10, SEC. Big 12, I got, it's, a, it's the Big 10 to me. You it's know, a, it's, it's a free for all. It's a free-for-all SEC. You know, the SEC is like, they're going to the national championship with like borderline professional teams now. For you, do you think Deion Sanders at Jackson State helped boost the HBCU? And do you think he can still be there? So do I think he helped boost HBCU? Yes, without a doubt. Was HBCU football doing okay before he got there? It was doing okay. But it's always yeah. that with him there. I mean, wherever Prime goes, the media, the stars, the all that, the lights follow. That's just the way it is. And so I'm very, very excited for what he did for HBCU and helping us to move the game forward in that regard. But of course, I mean, any coach, right? Any coach that really loves the game, wants to make it a career and really take care of their family and create more of a legacy, they're going to go up. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, the, the amount of money he's making at, I mean, Jackson State couldn't match that, right? Just like, you know, if he goes big time SEC, I mean, you know, Alabama or Georgia, I'm throwing his name, Tennessee, any of those big you know, SEC school, LSU, right? I mean, Colorado can't compete with that, right? Yeah. And so unless the boosters want to step in and kind of help make it, but even the boosters down there are going to come back on the other side. So again, Matt, you know, Prime had every right to go and make money. Because here's the thing, right, man? Coaching is a hard job. It's tough. I, like, I coached for one year as an offensive, defensive analyst under Mike Minner, who's an NFL player for the Panthers, strong safety, at Campbell. And I interned. I didn't make any money. I worked three days a week. And I saw the grind. And I saw all of the hard work and I saw the long hours. I mean, you only get really one month off. That's really it. And then you're at training camp and get there like as a coach, sometimes four in the morning. You don't leave till sometimes like 11 or, or clock, clock or midnight, wow. watching film, breaking stuff down. I mean, like, you know, and then you got to come right back and 
do it all over again. And you got to beat and you got your team meetings, you got your coaches meetings. I mean, like, man, it's a lot. And so yeah. I was like, man, I don't want this life. I don't want to be in this grind, man. And so for Dion to make that money, any coach to make the kind of money that they made, God bless them. Because I'm telling you, to get to that point where you're making that kind of money, you got to start out. And high school coaches pretty much make nothing. If you're a low-level college coach, right, you know, in AIA, D3, D2, a small one double A or something like that, you're not making any money. If you're like a big, uh, like a Division One, if you're not in a big conference, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not making any money in the MAC or the WAC. I mean, you're not making money. You know? But if you're SEC, ACC, you know, you're making money. But, you know, again, man, like, shoot, he wasn't going to say that forever. I mean, no. I don't know why everybody thought that. I mean, that's not real. I feel like everybody gave him such a hard time, and I'm like, I get it. You know, it's like they were pretty damn good when he was there. You know, he, mm-hmm. he got the number one recruit. That's an amazing thing. And well, company. he got no, he, he got the number one old lineman coming to them this year. I mean, number yeah. one lineman. I, I forgot where he's, I think he's um, you know, IMG or something like that. Whatever he's coming to him. They had another transfer. I saw they had a D tackle transfer from LSU that's going. I got an, uh, an old lineman transfer coming from Arkansas going there. So. People are now starting to get on the Dion bus. I see it. You know what I mean? The reason I asked that question, it's like the transition out of football, right? Like, you know, Dion was always like a huge, big brand guy. You know what I mean? He came in with the Jerry curl. It looked wet, but it was dry. And uh, he came in. He was a big thing. He had all the chains on when he got drafted. So he, he looked like one of those guys that, would, you know, he went to CBS, did the whole thing. For you, I always want to ask guys the mental toll it takes on you when you depend on your body so much for so much of your entire life and your body doesn't respond the same it used to. What's that transition like for you being out of the game or on your way out and being like, damn, I really can't do this anymore? So I'm going to tell you exactly what I saw last night watching the Babe Ruth documentary he was making $80,000 a year in the 1920s for the Yankees. And it got to a point at his, like, it was like his 18th or 17th or 18th season. And you could see that he couldn't swing the bat as much or as hard. His skills were going way down. He had lost that thunder in his bat and the gleam in his eye and, you know, the speed around the base. He was actually pretty fast for this in Germany for his side, amazingly fast. Yeah. But, you know, you could see that when the Yankees cut him, he went off into the Boston Braves and then he kind of went to the Brooklyn Dodgers trying to coach. And then they did, he wasn't going to do that. They pushed him out. And like, he just really and truly just wanted to be around baseball. Like it didn't matter. And he would go do like hitting appearances and go to uh, the signings or, or whatever. Right. But you could see the way he was just broken down and feeling like he had no purpose. And I even saw they knew that he had throat cancer, I think about a year or two before they told him. He Uh didn't find out until his last hospital visit, according to the documentary, that he had throat cancer because they were afraid of him like committing suicide, they said in the the documentry, any of that. Yeah, yeah, because he lived for baseball. And that's the point is that a lot of athletes, not all, but a lot of athletes live for their sport. And when that sport's gone, you don't know what to do next. And that was how I felt. You know, when I lost football, what to do next? And so I drank a lot. And I was 
partied a lot and I was out with women a lot and I kind of wasn't married, didn't have any kids. I was just out at the clubs, partying, drinking, gambling, all these things because I had no purpose. So to answer your question, I had no purpose according to the documentary and from what I saw just in the way he looked after he was forced out of baseball, Babe Ruth felt he had no purpose. And just like even Andre the Giant, I mean, Andre the Giant in the documentary said, you know, the only reason he came to WrestleMania three was to be able to pass the torch of an old wrestler to Hulk Hogan. Yes. That's why he said he had, you know, because he had back surgery and he could barely stand up. And he he wrestled like another year or two after that. It's like, you know, just kind of trying to make money for his daughter and all that. But even they said they could tell, and, he, and, and this man said this in the documentary, Andre resented him at the end because WWF went on and made a lot of money and all. And, so, and Andre oh, yeah. felt, wow, I helped build this. You know, because they all say, like, you know, if Andre the Giant didn't want to lose, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. Hulk Hogan said the entire match, he was just nervous if Andre would follow the script. Right. They said, if Andre was going to change the script on you, what were you going to do? There's yeah, you're not going to be. You can't do anything. It's over. But the point is, right, even Andre, so when he died, he was 46, and he actually died in Paris in his bed. And he was going back. As a matter of fact, he went back to France because his dad had just passed away. He buried his dad. I think it was two days later. He died in his sleep, right? But even Andre, they said his brother, yeah, I think he had like five brothers and sisters. They said that Andre felt he had no purpose once he was done wrestling. So it's very common for athletes from all facets. I know boxers and I know baseball players and I know basketball players and I know football guys that I'm friends with. A lot of those guys, just like me, feel like you have no purpose. Yeah. It's amazing, though, too. It's like the money stops, but the injuries remain, right? Mm -hmm. and, when, the bills keep, and the bills keep coming. And the bills keep coming. Let's talk about financial health for a second. How much money were you spending when you were having drinking and painkiller issues? Oh, God, man. <laughs> I, always, I always ask, like, what's the most you ever spent on drugs? I was probably spending on that sometimes, you know, up to at times, you know, $400, $500 a night sometimes. But then, if I, but if I gamble, right, I could win, my, I could win like a grand or two, but I could also lose like two grand in a night. Three grand in a night. There was one time I think I lost uh, five grand in a night, just mm. you know because I was just a loose cannon. Like today when I play poker, right? I'm a, I love poker, so I'll yeah. probably play tonight, right? I do very well financially now. I mean, it's total away from where I was, right? But Ooh. I take three hundred bucks, three hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. If I lose, I'm done. That's yeah. it. I don't go back to the well, you know, and I could easily go back to the well, but I'm not going to do that because. I have self-control. At that time, then I had no self-control. And so like even like I'm tatted up now. I mean, I've got, you know, probably over 150 double sleeves, full backs, all that. I got those when my father passed away and I was hurting and I was drinking a lot. I was out with women a lot. I was partying a lot. And everything I did was to excess. So yeah. tattoos was no different. And so I just did it to excess. I'm okay, I'm gonna get. One in stop. I mean, I remember one time, Danny, you know, again, we're off the cuff. And this is just a moment. I'm just, I'm not proud of any of this, but this is to who I am. I yeah, remember yeah. Man, I was 28. I just retired. 
I had a great tattoo artist out on the other side of town, probably about 40 minutes away from me, but he never charged because I was kind of like his, his free advertisement. And I went there and every time I got tattooed, I would get drunk. Every time I get drunk. And I remember literally coming home, looking in the mirror after I, was, I fell asleep on the couch. I looked in the mirror and I said, what the hell is that? And it was a huge tattoo, not a small one, like my, almost like my entire right bicep was covered. And I'm like, oh. when did I do this? What happened? And, so, and then I said to myself, holy shit. I literally drove 40 minutes from there back to where I'm at. Don't remember the drive. Passed oh. out on the couch and literally had my entire right arm tattooed. And I was 28 years old. I'm like, what the hell happened? And then I just kept going. I kept going. And then now it's to the point where I'm just double tattooed sleeve. The whole now where I'm at my life, it doesn't matter because it's my career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But in the moment, you're like, dude, I'm what fucked. the hell? Like, what, what, why did I do this? What happened? But again, at that time, it was everything to excess. There was wow. no starting right. and stopping. It was like, all right, I'm going to go all the way with this. I'm going to go all the way with this. It was this constant all the way, all the way. So, that was my life. So I want to talk to you quick. I got two brothers. Sibling rivalry is a real thing, right? Your brother's Jonathan Ogden, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best to ever do it. Growing up, did you ever have those moments where you're like, man, fuck this guy? That's a good question. No, because he's seven years older than me. So right. I never had the real sibling rivalry. It was or admiration. Right. It's more looking up to him and him teaching me. And then when I played, when I got to the Ravens, and he taught me a lot about technique, professionalism, how to play the position. It was grand. So, because I'm 43, my brother turns 50 in July. And so I'm like, man, it was nice to have him around to help in that capacity. So in reality, you know, it's really, really awesome. And yeah, man. So for me, you know, it was no, it was all about admiration. We weren't, we were far enough apart in age. We weren't playing at the same time, like until we got to the Ravens. So my first year, we played against the, I was with the Jaguars, we played against the Ravens. And that was the first time we played against each other in our lifetime. So you probably, you know, you would turn Madden on and be like, yeah, he's a 99, sweet. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because like, you know, that's your, I mean, there's only two of us. Yeah, yeah. I feel like in that kind of arena, you know, no pun intended, people are going to constantly compare you to that. Did you ever get, Oh off. yeah, you know. Oh no, nah, I, I couldn't imagine. Like, listen, like I have family members who are successful at other things than like when I am, and like I try to take it in stride, but like it's just like how many times are you gonna ask me the same fucking question from guys I play against? Sometimes I hear a little bit, very, you know, but not too uh, often. So okay. I mean, some yeah. of the guys I play against, you might give me a little shit here or there, but not too often, man. Like I say my brother was such a phenomenal athlete, like. People are like, you know, I was like, what do you expect? So for me, it wasn't too bad. But again, like I said, you know, luckily we had the type of relationship where he never, ever made me feel that in that regard. You guys went to different high schools, right? Yeah, I went, he went to St. Albans in Washington, D.C. I went to St. John's in Washington, so, D.C. All right. So it wasn't like you had to like walk down the hallway either and see like, yo, your brother mm -hmm. threw a discus like farther than nah, everything. Nah, as a matter of fact, we played St. Albans my last year of high school. We lost. They were always undersized, but they were always well coached. Yeah. And they beat us, I think, by like seven or 14. And of course, I heard it from Jonathan after that. But 
Yeah, yeah. We never, I, I didn't go to the same high school that he did. Let me ask you real quick. The center is the quarterback of the line. And, you know, you're working with the quarterback. You know, you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Who was the most uncomfortable person to snap the ball to? Ah, uh, so. <laughs> Where you're just like, yeah, like, dude, it's like, you're either going to touch my ass or not, dude. Let's get it going. We only played center the last six games of my senior year of college when our starting center blew his knee out. And, you know, that was uncomfortable that I got used to it. And then I played it in my rookie training camp. I, I snapped some center and I had David Garrard and Byron Leffers for my quarterback. So it wasn't yeah. too bad for me. It wasn't I, I too didn't, bad. No, nah, I didn't play for that long. But, but then you played offensive tackle too, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Talk about a tough position, left or right? I played both. I played left in college and right, and then I got to the NFL and played right. So right tackle, you're usually a bigger, stronger athletic, but you're usually a bigger, stronger, more of a run-blocking mauler. And then yeah. typical left tackles are more pass protectors, very athletic, very agile, great footwork, like a Trent Williams, my brother, like a Joe Thomas, you know, very athletic and can keep their body between the defender and the quarterback. How you sleeping these days now that you got some of that weight off? Much better, man. I was having some problems sleeping just due to like, you know, I had a really bad shoulder injury. But then I, I found Dr. Jeff Donatello and the Center for Well-Being up in the Boston area. They do stem cell rejuvenation treatment. And oh, I went and awesome. got stem cell treatment in my right shoulder within like, you know, a day and a half. The pain I had been feeling all the time went away. And he's one of our sponsors of our podcast. And, you know, um, people love him. And I've turned him on to, like, professional boxers, baseball guys, basketball guys, football guys. So, you know, Dr. Dontel and Center for Wellbeing really helped me to get my right shoulder back. Because I said before that, man, I was sleeping horrible with the, this time. If I rolled over, I would cringe and stuff like that. But I think I did that. Let me see. I did that surgery probably about about six months ago and was one of the best things I ever did. What's the thing you miss the most about the game and the thing you miss the least about the game? I miss the guys, the locker room, the camaraderie, the guys you have a you have a heart that can come talk to your buddies in the locker room and you know that that unity. And what I don't miss is training camp and the grind and Today's training camp is so different than when we did it. Like, you know, you can only have a certain amount of padded practices. I mean, we would be right. some, we would be in double pads on almost, you know, every day, hitting all the time, beating the hell out of each other all the time, you know, scrimmages, nine on seven, 11 on 11. I mean, I go one-on-ones forever. I mean, so we would literally go to town. So for us getting like shell, like, you know, like, like spiders on was like a gift from God. But today... That's how they practice many is with spiders. And so I think they really save a lot of it because I think you're I think you're only allowed 16 padded practices a season. I think that's what it is now with new CBA. And so they like to try to save their padded practices when they do like inner squad scrimmages because you can't go out there with spiders only against that's not that's just do that. That's not going to work. So they, they like to kind of save that for, for those times. And they have like, you know, they'll have them kind of sprinkle within throughout the regular season. I want to talk about your construction company. Growing up, did you do any construction? Nope. Talk to me about this. How do you, you're a guy that played ball your whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get out of the league, you're having your issues. You're like, damn, dude, I got to figure something out. 
you start a construction company. What's the genesis of that? How did that happen? <laughs> Not only did you start a construction company, it's the largest African-American owned subcontracting company in Baltimore and the state of yeah. Maryland, right? Yep, that's right. You know what I'm saying? And here's what's happening, right, man? At Chase Big Money Syndrome, and I ended up literally putting myself in a position where we became the best. And unfortunately, my ego got in the way. And what happened is after that, right, they, it put me in a position where my best people went away from me. And I was all about self. I was all about money. I was a very self-absorbed person. As a result of that, people started to leave me. I got into some bad debt. I made some bad decisions. And the next thing you know, it took me five and a half years to build the company. It took me less than 90 days to lose it all. At that moment, what's going through your head? How? Why me? What happened to me? What was I thinking? How can I be so stupid? How can I be so arrogant? And honestly, that didn't happen until I got to Raleigh. And I had my rock bottom moment where somebody's trash and rotten meat and nasty protruding garbage got over my body, my skin, and my clothes. When that happened, that woke me up. But I tell everybody, man, you know, it, I need to go through that really hard time to take responsibility for what was happening in my life. And as a result, my friend, that's what turned me around. And that's what got me to a much better state and a much better position. And that moved me into a much better, you know, light. So like I tell everybody, man, you know, that's a huge facet that I had to learn. And once I learned it, that's when things got better. But it took me a while to get to that point. You were a custodian, right? I was. You miss anything about that job? I do. I miss the fact of having to really work to do something. But at the same time, nobody ever thinks you're going to be able to rise. So mm -hmm. I kind of missed the challenge of now, of course, I challenge myself. But when you're a custodian or you have a job that people think is like low level. Or oh, that they people can talk shit about that job all they want. That's a good ass job. And it's beneath them. All these things, right? People, they think you can do nothing else but that. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew I had a degree from Howard. Nobody knew I was an NFL athlete. Nobody knew I just lost an eight-figure construction company. Nobody knew that. Everybody said, oh, he's a bad janitor. He's sleeping in the broom. That's all he's ever done. So like for me, and I've always been this way, but especially after the fact, when I see people in any job, I don't ever judge. I don't ever assume. I don't ever say, well, that's all that person can do. That's all that they're made of. That's all they can ever have. Because like, I don't know that. Because I know I was a janitor at one point. I made eight twenty-five an hour. I know what it's like. So let me go ahead and go from there. So I tell all the time, man. You know, just because you see something, you don't really know the whole story behind something. For sure. Listen, my friend's been a custodian for ten years. When he first started, I was like, "The fuck, I can never." Then, like four years later, he's driving like a brand new Infinity. I was just like, dude, like, you like selling drugs to these kids? Like, what the fuck is going on? He's like, nah, bro. It's just like I just stayed down and, like, got after it and did the job. It is weird how we are defined by our professions. They become, like, what we are. And social media plays a fact in that, too, because that's, like, kind of what we put out to the world. But, like, you've lived, like, six lives. 
You know what I mean? What do you got planned for the seventh? So right now, man, team meeting of 15 minutes. I What I love doing is I'm a big person in getting involved with different businesses that align. So I'm now an equity owner in a company called Agogi, which is like a health and fitness company. So I own like, that's my ninth company I'm a, I'm either an equity owner in or a board member in, but most of them I'm going to own equity in. And then we're really focusing on right now a podcast profit workshop, helping people that have a podcast or people that want to start a podcast, learn how to start it, learn how to monetize it, learn how to use it to get speaking jobs or more credibility, bigger guests, bigger reach, more five-star reviews, more downloads, more ratings to make a profit center of their podcast. And so we have our second workshop tomorrow, and then we start our training in January, and we've already got six enroll in the program. And we have, I think about maybe a hundred people that are coming to our second workshop tomorrow and people love it. So trying to go more of the online route to move it to the next level where I'm loving what I do, but I'm not, you know, I mean, again, I, I, I got a speaking job in January. I'm doing locally. I just got booked for a job yesterday in Minnesota in February. They're buying 150 books. I got one in March in Cabo. I got two in April. One is for Farm Bureau Insurance and one is for, I think it's Midwest Oncology. And then I just got an email from one of the bureaus about doing a job for Midway Energy, potentially in Des Moines, Iowa in October. Then we were really lucky, man. We got ranked, we got, we got ranked in the top 10 business speakers in North America. So it was Magic Johnson, Kevin O'Leary, Robert Kiyosaki. We were four. Then we had Lori Grenier on there. Tony Robbins was on there. Duncan Wardell from Disney was on there. They had some powerhouses. And so, oh, we yeah. and so using that, right, to kind of go to the next level of, you know, more speaking, but larger fees and the podcast profit workshop and, you know, and so on and so forth. Even the older generation is starting to understand that I'm not saying that you're old. I'm going to be 35 next month. So I'm 43. Yeah, so we're we're the same generation. You know what I mean? So if you really think about it, everybody's got to have like four or five jobs these days. You know? And if you don't, it's like, what are you doing? You know, I have like four or five jobs. Do you ever get burned out though? Good question. No, because I got burnt out in construction because I hated it. Mm. It took me two and a half years, Dan, to get my first paid job. Two and a half years. Yeah, that's right. I started the podcast with a co-host about three years ago, parted ways with him because he got really starting to align on things yeah. and then started a new podcast and grew it to where it's at in 18 months. I coach a lot of people. I consult a lot of people. I'm a brand ambassador. I'm very fortunate. Do I have long days and get tired? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'm off from recording my own show for three weeks. I kind of, I'm a little excited about that because I've been, I mean, I record, you know, sometimes four, six shows in a day. I only record one day a week for half an hour. That way I can have content for the future. But again, do I get tired? Yes. Do I get burnt out? No. Do you think you would still have the, the drive that you have if you didn't play ball? I think football taught me, especially as an offensive lineman, the importance of the underdog and pit bull 
mentality perspective because you have to have to be an office alignment. And so, like I said, I believe if I didn't have that type of grit that football taught me, I probably would have quit trying to speak. When you don't get a paid job for two and a half years, yeah, man, it gets really hard. It gets really frustrating and you start to doubt yourself. And I, I had many doubts and many long nights and many sleepless nights. That's why my first, our first book is called Sleepless Nights, the NFL, a business and a family. But for me, I never gave up because I knew if I could get through, I could have potential. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going and got our first paid job, April, 2016, started speaking in September, 2013. Wow. And yeah, that's a long yeah, man. It's so, a long time to not to work for free, and, and I that's what I mean. I was speak was all unpaid, and then I got in the last now it's going to be eight years in April since our first paid job. We've worked for now fifty five Fortune five hundred brands and a speaker fifty five. All these jobs lined up for next year. People now are coming after us because of our global ranking with the MSN article. Our podcast is almost in the top half percent most popular worldwide. We have close to 500 to 500 five-star raids. We have a 106 five-star written reviews. So my point is, if I didn't have that dogfight pit bull mentality where I'm at today, oh yeah, there's no way I'm here. No way. It's incredible how many lifetimes you can live in one lifetime, right? Amen to that. You ever think back on just trying to make it work like those construction days and then you know those hard days then the, the dog days of going through the speaker shit and then also it's like you're recently divorced you ever just been like yeah fuck all this shit i'm just gonna go back and like place a fucking 10 team parlay and put forty thousand dollars on it start drinking and do some painkillers and uh make a weekend out of it I had some really dark days about a year ago when I divorced my wife and I had to move out into a two-bedroom, dilapidated, shitty apartment. And I felt that everything I worked for was gone and was about to go. And I didn't have my daughters for, I had to share holidays and I had to, you know, adjust to life. And I'm coming to this really janky, two-bedroom, fully furnished, broken down, outdated apartment. And man, it was hard. You know, I was drinking and I almost relapsed on painkillers, but I did. I've been 15 years sober of painkillers since 2008, now almost 16 years. I almost relapsed because I was just tired of it all, but I did drink heavily. I did go out a lot. I was out with women dating this, yeah, you know, yeah, this hooking up one day. I was hooking up with different women. Like that's all it was. I wasn't dating anybody. I was just having sex. And you know, all these things that were horrible because I was just, I was just tired of feeling like a failure. But now, so like for because my dad divorced. So like, oh, here I go. Right. And so, but the I cycle, yeah. turned myself around in January of this year and got busy and started to think about what I wanted to do. And then I ended up buying my dream home. I had a target of November, my birthday, November 15, 2020, to buy a new house, bought my dream home May 15th of this year. So six months earlier, I bought a 3,100 square foot house, half a million dollars, 
by myself six months ahead of schedule, six months after being forced to leave my home and moving into an apartment, I bought my dream home. So if you're listening to this off the cuff, life's going to throw you all types of curveballs, all types, sliders, fastball, curveballs, sinkers, you name it. To hit home runs, be patient, swing at the right pitch. And if you miss, that's okay. If you strike out, that's okay. You know, Babe Ruth had a 640 slugging percentage. 640, I think it's the highest ever. So that means he missed about 260% of the time, right? <laughs> okay, right? He led the league in home runs forever, 714. He also led the league in strikeouts. It happens, right? So life is not going to just hand you what you want. Be very cognitive and very astute to what you want and then move forward from there. I love that. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. The last two things I wanted to say is, one, I want to just say that I'm super proud of you, man. Super proud of you. Like I said, dude, you're a tough cat. And the reason I call you a cat is because you're on life number seven and you're going to go past nine, it looks like. I'm very proud of you, man, because... You've lived a lot of lives in in 43 years. I'm happy that you've coming out on the right side of things. And I hope you stay there. And uh, I hope that you take time to stop and smell the roses too and kind of be able to look at all those things, take the good from it, take the bad from it, and be able to enjoy life a little bit. And it looks like you are. Yeah, I am. I bought my new home. I'm dating, talking to you know some people, just trying to figure out who really likes me for me. Because I told my I told my therapist today, it's really easy to like me now, right? Home, business, this, take care of myself, shim. I'm into self-care. I mean, it's easy to like me now, right? Yeah. So, you know, like me for who I am, not what I've built or what I've gone through to get to this point. And so that's the hard part. And so, but I'm in no rush, man. I'm 43. I'm not, you know, 85. And so I'm like, whatever, dude. So it's it's cool. And like, you know. It's just, you know, just like my therapist said, man, just take your time and build and meet good people. And that's why I love coming on podcasts, sharing my story and just having, hey, man, if you people want to connect with me, they can reach out and go from there. Right. I love that. And then last question that I ask every week, I'll ask every guest this, are you happy today? Yes. If you asked me that question a year ago at this time, the answer would have been no. I yeah. had no Christmas decorations up, zero, none. I put my Christmas tree up this year. Oh, God. I want to say a week before Thanksgiving. So the tree is up. We have stockings on the wall. We have a blow up Santa. We've got letters to Santa. We've got, you know, Rudolph. We've got Vixen and Donner reindeer. We've got a Mary on the on the counter. We've got the gnome and Mr. And Snowman, Mrs. Snowman on the corner. We've got Angel Noel upstairs in my daughter's playroom. You know, she's got her room decorated. Last year, they, there wasn't a freaking Christmas anything in yeah. the house. My, my apartment, zero. My daughter had like a little Rudolph reindeer in her room. That was it. Nothing, no tree, nothing. This year, I said, the hell with this. We decked the halls. I've even got like, you can't see, I even got like a, um, I like a little like Christmas, like, you know, like with the elf hat and the tree and all that and, and a gingerbread man. I've got like a table cover for my dining table, a little Noel and joy right there on the table, a little Christmas tree. Like 
Now we have joy. So today, yes. A year ago, hell no. Hey, man. Look at that. What the difference, like, you know, is between one year. It's amazing, dude. And listen, I'm a fan. I'm going to be checking for you everywhere. And for everybody else that's listening, where can they find you? Where can they find the book? They can go to our site, our, our, it's called our 360 site, www.marcus, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, 360.com. And you can go to the, your app store on your Apple phone or your Android and type in Marcus Ogden, M-A-R-Q-U-E-S, O-G-D-E-N, and you can download our app. We have a Marcus Ogden app with exclusive content to inspire you weekly with downloadable content you can exercise and write in, keep up with our podcast, with our website. So go to our Marcus 360 or just really simply download our app onto your phone and stay engaged with our weekly content that we put out to inspire you to new heights. I love it, guys. Go check out Marcus everywhere. Go check out the app. Go check out the book. If he's coming to your city, get a ticket, go see him speak. And uh, listen, Marcus, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. You inspired me to do some shit today. So thank you very much. No doubt, man. Keep it going, brother. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!